You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, digital nomad, certified sports nutrition, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook, Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming energy reboot program for women over 50. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find us too. This is a really small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women, help us grow stronger, get our voice out there, and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. You can now watch all of our podcast interviews and more on the Hack My Age YouTube channel. Some of our interviews include slideshows, so it's great to have. Every day there is a new video, so just search Hack My Age on YouTube.com or find the link on the HackMyAge.com website. Easy peasy. Before we start the show, I need to tell you that I'm going to go to the Profound Health Summit in London from September 30th to October 2nd, 2022, and it's a jam-packed weekend. We're going to meet some of the guests we already had on the show in person, like Dr. Bill Laurence, who will teach us even more about peptides, and Phil Mikens, who shared how to reverse macular degeneration and cataracts. And you're going to love all the other guests who will focus on peptides and their role in epigenetics of aging and improving our health and, and more importantly, our health span. So we're going to have time for drinks, a fancy tea break, three-course lunch and dinner, and time for networking with some of the most brilliant minds and aging. And it's in a really luxurious setting too at the Gluten Who Golf and Spa Resort. So make sure you make time to join me in the sauna. Uh, Early bird tickets are now available. And whether you book now or later, use the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, to get a free entry to the VIP cocktail and a free consultation with me, maybe even while we're in the sauna. So go to profound-health-summit dot com for all the details and I'll see you there. Well, I am really excited to introduce you to someone who speaks my language, my gerontology language. And she isn't a gerontologist, but she knows a lot about the aging process and has worked with a lot of older adults, a lot more than me. And she understands how our experience through our life course can impact our health and our longevity. And today we're going to talk about something you may never have thought could kill you early, and that's loneliness. And we're going to talk about a lot of other things as well, but also just whatever it is, it's that impact on the aging process that we don't normally cover in the biohacking world, but are just as important, if not more. So I'm introducing you to Kathleen Toomey. And uh, she reached out to share her podcast, Seniority Authority. And when I browsed through the titles and watched her TEDx talk, The Secret to Successful Aging, I was convinced that we needed to talk. And to give you a little background on her, she's in charge of marketing and sales of the Riverwoods Group Communities. And this is an independent living community for active people where she's been working for the last 16 years and where she's engaged with and observed older adults and their issues, concerns, and passions. And She's learned a lot about aging through these folks. So she's also a board member of WomenAid and is a volunteer at the St. Vincent de Paul Food Pantry. 
and she's a graduate of Fordham University with a master's in communications, and she's really good at putting that degree to use. So without further ado, let's meet Kathleen Toomey. Welcome. Oh, Zora, I am so thrilled to be here. Oh, it's great to have you, and, and, and I'm really excited to dive deep into your knowledge and what you've learned about aging. Before we get into that, you know, I love your podcast, Seniority Authority, and I, tell me why you decided to start this podcast on aging and what it's all about. Thank you so much for listening and for absorbing the podcast. It's just turned a year old in April, and I started the podcast. I had no idea how to do it, and I really didn't listen to very many podcasts, but I live in a fairly small town, Exeter, New Hampshire, just an hour outside of Boston. And for a number of years, I started realizing that people would come up to me at cocktail parties and say, hey, uh, you work at Riverwoods. Uh, I think my mom has a memory issue. How do I know if it's something serious or age-related typical memory loss? And I would go find somebody at Riverwoods and call them back with the answer. And the next cocktail party I'd be at, someone would say, you know, my aunt needs something called assisted living. What is assisted living and how do I find a good assisted living place? So I'd find the answer and call them back. And this kept happening. This was pre-COVID. This kept happening. And I thought, I don't have that many friends. <laughs> so if my friends are suddenly starting to talk about how to help their parents, there's got to be a whole generation of folks who have these same questions. And why don't I amplify the answers so that people who are my age can have a place to start when they're coming up with a question on aging that they didn't expect to have, where do they go? And that's why I created the podcast, to amplify the discussion around aging and to help people understand that aging is so wildly different now than it has been for any other generation. And so we need the knowledge of all these new tools and research. And that's what I'm trying to be, just a conduit for information. I work for a nonprofit organization. This is a mission-based podcast. So I'm doing this just to help spread the word. So give us an idea of some of the topics that you, you cover. Oh, gosh. Well, the really cool thing is that when people would ask me at cocktail parties, I would just go to my friends and colleagues at Riverwoods. But now that I have a podcast, I have been relentlessly obnoxious <laughs> in tracking down experts. So one of my very first podcasts was with Dr. Robert Waldinger, who is head of the adult study project at Harvard. This is a program that's been going on for 80 years to find the secret to a long, happy, and successful life. So I've talked to him. I've talked to Dan. He's uh, He and his brother have written a number of New York Times bestselling books. I've talked to New York Times columnist Paula Spann, John Leland, who's from the New York Times and writes on gerontology. I'm able to get really phenomenal professionals. And what we're talking about is things that are very, very similar to biohacking. How do you stay young and healthy longer? What are the things you can do from a lifestyle perspective now to improve your health span as you age? Because we all know we have a longer lifespan, but what we really want to achieve is a long, 
health span. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase, we want to live long and die short. So we don't want long debilitating diseases. We want to be as healthy as possible. So I talk about health. I talk about psychological health and mental health. I talk about, I just did a an interview with the United States Task Force on Preventive Medicine, USPSTF, and their recommendations about not taking aspirin to prevent heart attacks because now we have so many more sophisticated tools that perhaps a statin is better. So I try to stay on top of the research that guides us as to how to stay healthy. And then the other areas that I cover are things like if you need assisted living, what is that? What is memory care? What is skilled nursing? What's the difference? I do a lot of work on dementia, the difference between typical age-related memory loss and something more significant. And when you should see a neurologist, I talk about how to apply for Medicaid. I talk about insurance. So there's nothing I don't talk about really when it comes to aging. You do cover a lot. And if you're listening to this and you may go, well, you know, I'm not concerned about retirement or retirement community or assisted living and uh, social security. Uh, This is not maybe your interest right now, but I think every single person, no matter how old you are, needs to be interested in these topics because we all are going to get old. We're all going to age. We all are going to get there one day or another if you're lucky. And if you have that privilege to age, so you better be prepared. I think I learned a lot from your podcast. I love the one about purposeful living. And your guest said, you're not going to do all this stuff and live great and have everything perfect if you don't plan for it. Just like financial planning. You can't just wake up in the morning and go, oh, no, I have no more money for retirement. What am I going to do? Or, oh, I'm really sick now. Well, we need to have prevention. And that's why these topics are super important. Even though you may go, oh, I'm not there yet or I'm not interested. Take a look maybe at your parents uh, or think about yourself and you will find a, a great interest in that. So thank you for bringing these topics to the table that I've learned all about in gerontology. Well, you know what I find interesting is that I started the podcast for adults 50 plus. And I started because a lot of people were coming to me about their parents and their parents, my parents' generation had no roadmap for this. They did not expect to live this long. They, if their parents died early, their grandparents died early. So there was, you know, no blueprint. So they, in some cases, turned to their children to help them with these navigating these issues. But then the children are also in the back of their mind. They're helping their parents, but they're all saying, also saying, well, I don't want to be my parents. I want to have <laughs> a healthier choice. And I think your audience is intentionally making that choice to live as healthy as they possibly can. But you're right. Everybody is going to have some aging issue. It is going to happen one way or another. So it's best to have a plan because we always say, if you plan ahead, and you say, if something happens to me, I want this and this to happen, then you've got it set aside. You've thought it through. If you don't have a plan, then you're basically saying, if a crisis happens, and for some 
horrible reason I can't make decisions for myself, you're leaving it up to someone else. And why would you want really important decisions to be made by someone else in a crisis when you have limited options? It's just smart to plan ahead. Yeah. And maybe by someone who doesn't think the same way as you do, or someone you don't know very well, or, you know, these decisions can be, can be taken by people you don't want to make these decisions. So it's better to plan ahead. I totally agree. No one wants to have these conversations, but the way I approach it is I am a control enthusiast. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not a control freak, I, but I like to be in charge. So what I say to people is nobody likes to talk about what would happen if you need help, but would you rather have a choice or would you rather say, I'm not going to think about it and somebody else is going to make that decision? Because if you want a choice, you need to use your voice. You need to have these conversations. By ignoring it does not mean nothing's going to happen to you. It just means you're going to forego the opportunity to plan. And yeah, that's so well said. I, I totally appreciate that. And I hope that resonates with some people to start taking action now. You, you know, you do bring up topics that people don't want to talk about, you know, or, or conversations that are very uncomfortable. But we need to start making those conversations a little bit normalized, a little bit more comfortable, because if not, we're, we're really going to be caught with our pants down and, and that's not going to be a good thing. So let's talk a little bit about loneliness. It's a depressing topic. Again, another conversation people may not want to look at or think about, whether it's themselves or their parents or people they know. But it was a big topic that we covered in gerontology. Because it happens quite a bit and it has a huge impact on people's health. But I do want to talk a little bit about the differences between loneliness and social isolation because they get thrown around here and there. But both have been estimated to shorten a person's lifespan by as many as 15 years. It's been also talked about it by the NIA, the National Institute of Aging, that loneliness is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day has the same impact. So it's, it's pretty serious. Tell us a little bit about the differences between loneliness and social isolation. First of all, isn't that shocking that loneliness is as big a killer of adults as cigarettes? I just think that is so important to get out there. and we had to take a look at what's happening in our country. So the Pew Research Institute assesses that probably more than a quarter of adults in the U.S. live alone, and 43% of those say that they are lonely. And this was pre-pandemic. Yeah. The other fact is that as we grow older, we talk less. So we will physically talk less 50% less at age 75 compared to age 65. And I think it's partly our society and how it's how it has evolved. More people are living alone. We're not some in some countries are multiple generations living under one roof. Here in the US, it's all about independence and self-determination, and many more people live alone. But living alone does not mean you're lonely. It means that you are living alone by choice. You just have to realize that living alone means you are more apt to be lonely if you 
remain socially isolated. So social isolation means you're not interacting with people on a regular basis. Lonely really speaks more to the core, the psychology and the emotional map of where you are as a person. You can be lonely in a crowd of hundreds. It is feeling that you are not seen, that there is someone that is not thinking of you or has you on their mind or cares about you. And it's easy for us in today's society to let that happen because as you see with the advantages of technology, it's always a plus and a minus. We have cell phones, things are more convenient. However, we talk less. The more phones we have, the less we talk. We text. So we're not speaking. We're not using our vocal cords. We are relying on on texting. And I'm not saying texting is bad. It has its place. But I think what's important for us to do right now, whatever age we are, is take a look at our relationships and say, how am I nurturing those relationships? How am I growing those? Because it's always a little surprising to me when you talk about planning for retirement, automatically people think money, portfolio, how is, you know, how is the stock market doing, blah, blah, and you need money. That's, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Food, shelter, clothing, and then self-actualization. So you need money, but I wish there was as robust a conversation about how we're going to live our post-work life as there is much conversation about how much we're going to save for that. Because plant the seeds now, just as your audience is biohacking and and living their absolute best life, put energy into those social relationships. They are critical. And I don't mean you need a hundred friends. I mean, you need a few very good friends. Could be one, could be two. You can have that, have those friendships if you're single, if you're living alone, and then it will prevent you from being lonely. Being lonely is kind of our modern world right now because it's so easy to keep yourself isolated. And that just spirals. If you are lonely and you are isolated, it's hard to get yourself out of that. And that just spins into depression and it's not a good place. Exactly. That's where the loneliness part brings you physiologically into depression. And then once you get into depression, you are at greater risk of heart disease and inflammation and high blood pressure, diabetes, all of these things. That's why we say loneliness is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day, because it does trigger these things. You're less likely to go out. And then that could be more depressing. You're less likely to see people, that human interaction. And how do we become isolated? Like, where does this all happen? Like just in a day and suddenly you have no friends and you're lonely and you get old. And, but it's can be from a lot of things that could be, you know, maybe you need to relocate after your retirement or you lose your driver's license. I mean, how many people here listening now can think of themselves is not having a driver's license, having that taken away from them, or 
now driving only during the day and avoiding things at night and all your friends are going out and doing something in the evening. And then you suddenly get out of that, or you start to lose your hearing. And then it's kind of embarrassing to be in a group of people and, and you have to keep repeating yourself what, what, and then these people kind of slowly pull back and you don't really see it or notice it, but it's, it's a sort of a slow growing thing. I think that that just happens or, you you know, you do lose your friends too. So, you know, when you say invest in your, you know, in your relationships and nurture your network, you know, having those few good friends is really important, but I'm sometimes I'm wondering, well, what are you going to do when those pass away? Maybe you need to be a bit more open and uh, extroverted or go out there and, and start cultivating new ones as well. You know, Generally, as we age, we we tend to lean into our older relationships and start to nurture those rather than waste time, you know, making new ones. But I'm not sure if it's such a waste of time. This episode is sponsored by Primadine, a supplement that if I had to choose only one, it would pretty much be this one. It's because Primadine is spermidine. And this has been shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. And it's basically a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. When we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and a lot of waste, and this isn't really great for us. So we need to clean it up. So if you want some research, go to primadine.com and you can see all of it supporting cognitive health and heart health, hormone balancing, and long and strong hair, nails, and eyelashes by using spermidine. So another very important reason why I love primidine in particular so much is that I've never had received ever as much feedback about a product as I have with primidine. Literally several times a week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time it's about improved sleep. So I can honestly say that I can 100% be convinced now that primidine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on primadine.com. And that's P-R-I-M-E-A-D-I-N-E.com. Now enjoy the show. I completely agree with you that you have to always be exercising your friend-making muscle. (laughs) Um, Because this is what happens. You have this wonderful life in this neighborhood. And then your peers start moving away and then your kids move away. Then new families move in and they're busy and they don't necessarily connect with you. They have younger kids. Then, as you said, maybe you stop driving at night. So you don't go to some of the social activities you used to go to. And if you lose your hearing, that is one thing as an aside. Uh, If you've got parents who are older, please take them and get their eyes checked and their ears checked because if their vision starts going and they need cataract surgery, it's not a big deal and that will engage more. Hearing is huge and there's so many older adults who refuse hearing aids, which is crazy because I see it all the time among older adults. If they can't hear, they isolate themselves. They are sitting at the dinner table, not participating smiling vaguely because they can't hear what's going on. So please do that because Zora's right. It is just the tip of the iceberg. It's not good. 
I also think that as we get older, we get more ourselves. We get more set in our ways. And I think a really important thing to practice is to be open to new experiences and new adventures. If you keep doing things the same way you've always done them, you're going to get the same results. You need to step outside your comfort zone, go to a farmer's market, stop at the library, go to learn pickleball, uh, go to a knitting group, do something new that will enable you to meet new people. And I am a huge advocate of volunteer organizations. We are in such a challenge right now with the economy that the way that it is, with every organization is struggling to find people to work. There are so many really good nonprofit organizations that could use your help, whether it's an hour a day, whether it's five hours a month, whatever configuration, there is a group out there. And I think that's an easy way to do something new, put yourself out there. You don't have to talk about yourself. You can talk about the nonprofit and you'll find people that have that same interest. And it's a much more natural way than trying to go up to somebody and say, hey, you want to walk with me every day. That is, does make an easier transition. But others, there are people who are naturally shy. And I think you and I as podcast hosts, <laughs> we're not shy. We love asking questions. So it's hard for us to even imagine. Uh, and we may even be always thinking, well, just get off your butt and just go. And I can't appreciate how, if you're an extrovert, you can't appreciate how difficult it is for somebody who's shy to go out and do that. So I had my professor at USC in my gerontology course give a great example of what to do with someone like that. And you can maybe add to this if you, if you have a, a good idea as well. And so his mother is, I think she's in her 80s or something, and she's terribly shy. And he decided to take her with him to the local a community center, or there was like a bridge meetup or card game or something, you know, so everybody got together, met up, and he went with her. And so he was there like Gretsch, and he was a very social outgoing person. And so he would go with her every week. And then he would engage in conversation with the people next sitting in the next table. And then they got to know each other. And eventually he had to leave and, and his mom was comfortable enough to actually go on her own and be social and be engaged in the community and have fun. And I thought that was a great idea because really consider and go, well, to your parents, so you're just shy and you're, you got to get off your butt and that's it. And you're your problem, or you can try to help them engage with the society. Do you have any and the other examples or, or good ideas? Because you, you're in a community uh, living, which I'd like you to share as well, what, what that really means. So what do you see? Well, I know that it is takes a lot of energy for introverted people to make friends. Anyone, I'm sure you've read the book Quiet by Susan McCain, which is a, a really fantastic book about just how much energy it takes for an introverted person to put themselves out there. And our world is naturally inclined to extroverted people. So I totally appreciate how hard it is for an introverted person to go out and do something like I'm suggesting and that it's exhausting. Then you come home and you just got to lay down, take a nap, you know, and that's okay. I love the idea of partnering with someone, either partnering with your adult child or 
getting a neighbor who you know is a little bit more outgoing than you are and say, let's do this together. It's just like going on a diet. If you get someone to help you commit to that, you're going to be more successful. So I think that's terrific. And recognize your limits and choose something that is not overwhelming to you. So choose a smaller group, you know, like four or five people and libraries, community centers, check out something like that. See if there's a walking group. I love the idea of making friends while you do something physical. Like if you are wanting to do, get more exercise and we all need new, we all need exercise. That is, in my opinion, the silver bullet to aging is moving. Everyone that I have talked to in a year has said, move your body. So if you can find someone to go with and get into physical exercise class, you will start meeting people. People will be friendly to you. You don't have to do that much. And you get to groan and moan after the class and have a drink of water or maybe they're going for a cup of coffee. Do something like that. So even if you are not making the best of friends, you are physically exercising with other people and you have those beginnings, those smiles, those nods of welcome that will make you more comfortable to, to step to step a little bit further. I do have to say, I work for what's called a Continuing Care Retirement Community or CCRC. Ours are, most of these organizations are not for profit. They're 1900 across the country and they're not very well known, but they are brilliant ideas because you come into the community when you're 62 years old or better and you are independent, which means you don't need any help, you're healthy, you've thriving, et cetera. You live there as an independent person. You get one meal a day, housekeeping, free fitness classes. I think we have uh, 64 classes a week, access to the pool, gardens, the walking trails, pickleball court, et cetera. As you age, if you need more help, there is assisted living, memory care, and nursing care right in the community. So you transition and you pay a fraction of what you would pay on the outside. Wow. Because we are insurance products. It looks like a gorgeous 55 plus community, but it's not. It's an insurance product. So it's this really smart option for people who want to plan ahead. And the advantage of living in this kind of community is number one, you can socialize without getting in the car because there's lectures, there's entertainment, there's bridge clubs, there's all of these things, movies, plays right on campus. You can have the fitness classes. There's absolutely no reason not to do fitness class because again, <laughs> it's right down the hall. Even as an introverted person, you will meet people. You will have neighbors. You can be as involved as you like and you can be as private as you like but it makes the social interaction so much easier because you have it walking out your door. And the other advantage is everyone that moves here to Riverwoods. And there are many, we have, we're in New Hampshire, there are three locations, but they're all over the country. It's a gift to your children because when you need care, 
it is available to you at a reduced price and your children remain your children. They do not become your caregivers. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. That was a whole other topic we covered in gerontology art is caregiving. And actually we could do, we could do a great podcast on that because caregivers, I think I mentioned this before, have the shortest telomeres, which are the caps on the ends of your chromosomes, which are associated with a longer, shorted life. And so we want longer telomeres. And they seem, Elizabeth Blackburn in her book, The Telomere Effect mentioned this. And I'll never forget it. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's the stress that they have. So like you said, it's a gift for your kids because you're not shortening their telomeres. And you're, you're helping them just continue with their lives. But it, so it sounds like uh, CCRC is somewhere where you move in, not when you need it, right? You move in yes. in advance and you're nurturing that network. You're building your community, not when the shit hits the fan. You do it in advance. And because it's so much harder if you are told, well, you can't live at home anymore. And this whole aging in place topic, we can talk about everybody wants to age in place. And, you know, if you want to stay at home, but your home is not built for that. And you suddenly need assistance because you're physically or mentally starting to decline. Well, it's going to be really hard to move into a new space and start to make new relationships. So I love this idea of what Riverwoods and just CCRCs in general can do for you. The, the question I have, though, is we've learned that the, these types of communities can be very expensive and, and it's prohibitive. And but are you saying that insurance is covering this? Is this general insurance that most people have? Great question. What I'm saying is moving into this community, when you move into a CCRC, you are not buying a condo you are signing an insurance agreement. We agree to cover your housing and nursing needs for the rest of your life, no matter what. So you have to stop thinking about it as a condo and you have to start thinking about it as your long-term care plan. And, and the government considers CCRC to be an insurance program. So a portion of your one-time fee when you move in is tax deductible. And a portion of your monthly fee every month is tax deductible because you are prepaying for your eventual healthcare. And I've been doing this for 16 years. So, and we have over a thousand residents in three different locations. So people have said, well, I am really healthy. So how do I know I'm going to need care? The challenge is you're really healthy now, but think of yourself 10 years from now, 20 years from now, your body has limits, things happen. And I did some research and I looked back 10 years of people who lived at Riverwoods to find out how many people did not use the health center, died without even using the health center. 3% of people died. So everyone else used the health center for something. They have a hip surgery, they come back, they rehab there. They have pneumonia, they go to assisted living for a while, and they come back to their independent apartment. So that's the other advantage is that 
you can come back and forth. It's not like the door slams behind you when you go to the health center. It helps keep you independent longer and it helps with grief. If you move in and, you know, no couple ages, very rarely do they age at the same rate and someone loses a spouse, all your friends are there. All your friends are still in the community and help you because they understand who your spouse was. They knew him or her for a long time. And it's it's wonderful. And I do want to say something of a real pet peeve about people assume being independent means I am staying in my home alone. Well, that's ridiculous because that is so outmoded. You can be independent anywhere. You can be independent and live in Madrid as you're doing. So why are we so tied to this house idea? I get it. For a long period of time, you are a young adult and you've got your career and you're striving. You buy a house and you have a family and you fix up the house and all of that. So a lot of your identity is tied in your house. But that is very outmoded. And when staying in your house alone means that you are more isolated, you have a greater chance of, of something happening to you by yourself, your neighbors move, the neighborhood changes, why do you hold on to that? You can be independent living in a community and have access to more friends, more activities, more fun. You're absolutely right, because we always think everything's going to stay the same right? That's why we go, oh, I want everything to stay the same. But in life, we know there's nothing is the same. Everything is in constant movement and change. So I think that's the idea. And, and, and yeah, that is totally outmoded. And we need to think a little bit differently or understand that things change and be flexible and ready. Maybe they won't. Maybe, you know what, your community is, is going to stay the same. I mean, that's it would be And there's a a little village where I brought 32, well, not 32, I brought 32 Ukrainian refugees from from Poland to Madrid, and then they all kind of dispersed. And we've got five families living in this place where there's 4,000 people. And it's a typical Spanish village. And it's amazing place to age. Nothing really changes a whole lot there. So I can see how older adults are there walking around doing the same thing. And Everything is nearby. They can walk and access to the, the store, the bank, the pharmacy. Generations of families have been living there. You know, this is Europe in a, you know, a small village. So time has kind of stood still. We've got, there is change and, and younger people are starting to move out. And, you know, it's not that it's completely static, but you can see why it's actually a great place to sort of age in place as long as, you know, that's what I think the appeal is. The the, the appeal is your community, your friends and your family, and they're there to take care of you. And these people don't, you know, their kids are still there and, you know, they must've left, you know, for university and then they came back and they work and and they're still there taking care of their family. So it's quite nice that they have this, this kind of lifestyle, but we don't really have this very often in, in the modern world, or if you're in a bigger city or in the U.S., um, it's much, much different. We're, we're used to living in different states. It's not unusual to, just to, to live far away. Um, so I think the idea of aging place does need to be disrupted and you can be independent 
no matter where you are. And you're right. I'm a nomad. Like my husband's 62, I'm 52 and we don't have a home <laughs> and we're living quite independently for now. You know, I'm ready. Things may change and we will probably one day want to sort of quote unquote, settle down somewhere who knows, or find that happy medium. But we, I think this, this idea of the, the CCRC is, is pretty appealing. I do think you need to nurture your network. Absolutely. The idea of how he's having friends around to do exercise um, and doing something sporty. Hopefully, you know, that community, you know, it sounds like Riverwoods, you have an active community because people maybe who communities that there aren't. And if you are an active person and you're not in a community of active adults, then I can see you're, you know, going on, oh, I'm in the wrong place. It doesn't mean you can't change. When you mentioned health, I mean, uh, your health and exercising and being with friends to combat loneliness, this is probably where the idea of Alzheimer's is, is actually you're more at risk of, of having Alzheimer's and cognitive dysfunction when you are lonely or socially isolated. It's bad for your brain. And I think the risk for dementia is increased by 50% when you are lonely or socially isolated. And actually you had, um, you told me there were three lifestyle changes that we can do to reduce our chance of dementia by 50%. Is one of them just not being lonely or, or what are the other two or three? This is phenomenal information, I think. And it comes from a neuropsychiatrist that I've worked with in Boston. And she, Dr. Maureen O'Connor, she's written two books. One is called Seven Steps to Managing Your Memory. And the other one is Six Ways to Combat something or other. I don't remember off the top of my head, but her research shows that um, if there are three lifestyle factors that reduce your chance of dementia by 50%, sleep, exercise, and socialization. Sleep, because it's harder to get good sleep as we get older. So sleep hygiene is important and getting a good six, seven hours every night is really important for your brain to repair itself, go into REM and re renew itself. Exercise and exercise is important for everything, for your heart, your brain, your lungs, your mood. And exercise is really important for your brain. And then socialization, which is interacting with people, having conversations, reading facial cues. It's not something repetitive. It's not like and she's like, throw away the brain games. They just get you better at brain games. You need interacting with people. You need that, that lights up the part of your brain that needs that kind of stimulation. And you have to find socialization somewhere. So for all of your listeners, that's something that they can focus on right now. Yeah. Well, then, like you mentioned, finding an exercise buddy, you hit two of those for the brain. I mean... <laughs> Twofers, and then you just go home and sleep because <laughs> you've just pooped with all the exercise. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's the, you know, that is, I struggle with insomnia. I have all my life. And when I exercise more, the more I exercise. And as we have to always say, too, that as you're over 50, strength training is really important. And you can actually repair bone density and increased bone density if you exercise with weights. So for me, I, I do strength training three times a week um, and do cardio the other days. But the days that I exercise, I sleep better. 
And I have to add to that because, well, first of all, yeah, lifting heavy things by far. I mean, we, it's so under underrated and there's so many great benefits to that. But I want to add to the social component and remind people that when you choose an exercise buddy or you choose a friend or someone you're going to hang around with, make sure that person is supporting you and not bringing you down. Because you may have a friend that you've been buddies with for your whole life, and that person just complains or brings you down or brings you problems. I think this will have a negative effect on your health and well being. So make sure that those friends you choose are supportive, are positive, are helping you age better. You are the average of your five closest friends. So think about who they are. If those five people are active, you'll probably be active. If they're healthy, you'll probably be healthy. If they're wealthy, you'll probably be able to be wealthy. If they're negative, you'll probably be a negative. <laughs> you know, it's- I like that. I have not heard that. That is Yay. awesome that you're the average of your five closest friends. But I just did a, I just got on TikTok on Friday because, yeah, I, I know I'm new at it. But the one thing that I feel like there's so many people get so negative about growing older. And you know what? It's a privilege that not everyone gets. So let's just stop complaining about getting older and start appreciating it, please. And the second thing is one of the good things about getting older is that finally we know who we are. We are no longer those anguished teenagers or early adolescents trying on every trend. I mean, we kind of get and and appreciate us ourselves and our failings and our strengths and Remove toxic people from your life. Just don't, you don't have time for that. I could not agree with Zora more. If you've got friends who always see the glass <laughs> half empty, don't hang up with them. Just send them a letter, you know, communicate by card. I don't know, but find people that are positive. Find people that see you for who you are and don't always. And I had a friend who oh. was like, could not stop saying, talking to me about all the things that I couldn't do. Uh, you know, I'm not a good cook and I am always late and all of these things. And then I thought, I, this is this is not a friend. I don't want to hang out with this person. So I stopped and I'm much happier for it. Well done. Yes, actually. And it's not only your friends, could be even a, a health practitioner or a doctor. Yesterday, I was walking with a friend of mine in the mountains and we had a little chat and she had a knee issue and she went to go to a physio and the physio was this young guy, I don't know, maybe thirties or so. And he looks at her and she's 55 today. And he says, you know what? Maybe you just better slow down. And she was like, I, I'm sorry. You have no idea who I am because that she was strong <laughs> enough to say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to listen to you. I am going to get my knee better and I'm going to go back skiing and I'm going to be climbing mountains and whatever. But I was shocked to hear that this, this health practitioner is supposed to help her to say, you know what, forget about it. Just sit home and sit on the couch or something like, you know, or just walk or which just was horrible. No, you do the proper training for your muscles and that are good for your knee. But that's why I say question your doctor sometimes when they say, and I had doctors tell me the same thing about my knee years ago. And I said the same thing. You obviously don't know me. And I went and go found another doctor. And 
it just horrified me. I was 48 at the time. <laughs> I was like, slow down. I'm sorry. Yeah. Please, people don't listen. Don't listen. If you're not happy with that answer, oh go and God. find another doctor or another friend or somebody who's going to support you and help you get where you're at, no matter how old you are. Sorry about that. Absolutely. And we could go on to a whole show on ageism, but do not let a doctor say, what do you expect because of your age? We are all living longer. We are breaking records for longevity. And it's up to us individually to make sure that longevity is healthy. And we need to advocate for ourselves, bring in documentation, because it's gone are the days. There's now this whole new trend called SDM, shared decision-making with your doctor. So the doctor will say, here's what's wrong with you. You have X or Y option. Let's talk about what makes sense for your lifestyle. And you always want to be as healthy as possible. And (laughs) choosing a sedentary lifestyle will never help you. It will never help you, you know, unless you're literally can't walk. I mean, or, or you're overtrainer. You just need to take it down a notch, but not sedentary. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Not sedentary. Exactly. Yeah. And actually very interesting. There are studies that were presented to us in in my program and I can't quote them. I don't remember them, but it was shown that doctors and health practitioners are the most ageist people. And it's partly because they only see sick people. (laughs) They never, the ones who come and see them are obviously not in a very good condition. So then they create these stereotypes. Well, okay. All old people are, are, are sick, but (laughs) they just don't get a chance to see healthy people. So yeah, we do need to disrupt those, those ages stereotypes. Absolutely. That is true. I want to get back a little bit back into the, the loneliness because I think there's something else that I learned that was super interesting. And I don't know if you knew about it, but did you know loneliness can also be contagious? You hear that? No. So evidently, you know, not everyone, but there, uh, there are people when you become lonely, you, you engage you know, with, with somebody, okay. Somebody, maybe you may drag somebody into your life and that person who engages with that lonely adult is more likely to become lonely themselves and then transgress to the outskirts of their own social networks because they're spending all this time with this lonely person. And then they lose their own other friends because they feel bad for that person or whatever. And so in fact, you know, that's contagion, you know, loneliness as a contagion is, is, is really bad just for the social fabric of, of our society. So we need to be conscious of that. If you are lonely, I mean, it's, you know, I can, I can understand how that can happen, but we need to be conscious and aware of, you know, expanding our network and not only bringing that one person in our life. And if you're that one person to try to introduce that lonely person to other people, isn't that interesting? You know, and it makes sense and it connects to what you said earlier about you being the average of five of your closest friends. If you have a friend who is that you are their only friend or their only social outlet and they are like always wanting your time and your energy, that is exhausting and again, not healthy. So you can't be somebody's only friend. It's like putting your oxygen mask on first. You have to be able to have a network, have a few people. And yeah, that is really important to not be drowned by one person. I'm wondering if loneliness is greater in other countries and cultures. And I should have looked this up in 
World Health Organization would probably have stats on that, and I can't remember, but there are certain cultures that we know have more intergenerational support, at least in the U.S. We know that Latino families are really tight and really, really bonded, so they're less likely to fall into loneliness and depression than some, you know, other families are really separated uh, and, and not, not, there's no that intergenerational connection. Japan, Asia, you know, tend to also have similar, similar tight bonds that obligation to take care of your parents is, is, is really deep, deep in the, into the culture that you, you do make these sacrifices. So um, it seems to be less in, in our Western world, but do you have any, any information if loneliness is greater in certain cultures and countries? I don't have data on that, but it does suggest to me when you talk about this traditional village in Spain. And one of my very closest friends lives in Cortona in Italy, in a little walled city. The European, where they have the multi-generations and where you're walking every day to the market. So you're buying milk every day and bread and meat and your vegetables. I think there are less loneliness there. Wow. And within the US, some of the highest loneliness rates are 18 to 22 year olds. So it's not just older adults. And I do think technology does have that impact. It's almost a negative impact. The more time you spend on social media, the more lonely you can get and the more depressed you can get because you compare yourself to everybody's airbrushed light. So I don't have statistics, but I do think the more traditional small villages or the cultures where they are intergenerational, it's harder to be lonely because you are surrounded by mm-hmm. family in the U.S. where we have these, it's more of a tradition of, of independence and separating from the family. I think it's more prevalent. I think that's a real key to aging well, aging successfully, aging with other you're becoming included into the community, into society, because like you mentioned, older adults are relegated to the side. You know, they're, they become invisible. They're these ageist stereotypes. And then they're, they're not, they become disengaged partly maybe on their own effort and partly because of the age of stereotypes. And so I think key to keep young and healthy and vibrant and have a long health span is to be able to continue to age within the society and have intergenerational connections. There's interesting societal model in Japan, in Kashiwa. Have you heard of this one? No. So this was, this is a society in, in Japan where it was a model just to see how that happens. And it's basically, they created this community and they put older adults and younger adults and children and everything in, in living all together. They gave the older adults jobs and, you know, little things for them to, to do to stay engaged in society. So they had a reason to wake up in the morning, that ikigai word that we use so often in gerontology is that reason to get up. There's a purpose in life and they give them meaning, but they also are not just socializing with people their age. And if you can find, I think the key to that is to find common interest because you can throw younger and older people together, but if they don't have the same interests, they're just going to be completely you know, disengaged on both sides. But if you're both interested in, in, I don't know, certain plants or animals or 
a technology or some kind. And then, you know, you can, the older adult can teach the younger person something and the younger person can teach the older adult because you have the same interest. And I think that's, that's one of the keys, I think, to aging well and disrupting some of these aging stereotypes. I completely agree. And I know Stanford University has a program called Monami that pairs older adults with college students. And that's, there are a number of different programs like that. One of my favorite programs that I want to create, which I'm going to do at some point when I'm not working, is I want to bring high school kids and older adults together. And high school kids can help older adults with technology, like how to use your iPhone and how to uh, Zoom and how to do the different things. And older adults can interact with the high school kids and tell them stories about their life. And give them experience interacting with adults because a lot of kids today are awkward about picking up the phone and talking to older adults. They're so used to texting and doing everything online that when it comes to actually looking for a job, they don't know how to talk to older people. So look around in your community and see if there is a program like that. Every high school student needs to have some kind of community hours, hours for community service. So if you are an older adult and you want help, that's an easy intersection. If you have a piece of technology and who doesn't have a piece of technology that they couldn't use some guidance on using. So that's my idea. <laughs> Great idea. Do it, do it. And, and if you're you're in the US, then you will find those students who need community hours because that doesn't happen in Europe. <laughs> doesn't happen. I don't think yeah. it happens, uh, at least not, 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 in, not in my kids' school when they were growing up. But um, I think it's a great idea. And that's how we can get intergenerations together. I'm wanna, I want to ask you, because you had gone through the pandemic uh, at Greenwoods in, in your CCRC, how did loneliness impact your community? And was it any different than what somebody who's is quote unquote aging in place or somewhere else? First of all, with all of the 1,000 residents at Riverwoods in our three different locations, the one thing I did observe is loneliness ages people. So two years after the pandemic, people looked older and they had more health issues. So it does have a physical impact. The advantage to being in a community was that we had a lot of programs for our residents. So for example, we would have birthday hallway birthday parties. So if it was somebody's birthday, we'd pass around individually wrapped slices of cake. People would stand in their hallways, sing happy birthday, wave to each other. We had daily videos that went out from our CEO that would say, today's Tuesday, and here's what the CDC is saying, and here's what's going on in our community. We had exercise classes over Zoom by the instructors that they knew. We were all working. I did not learn how to bake bread during the pandemic. Uh, we were all here 24, well, we do run 24-7. So we had parades outside the building that people could participate in. And whenever there was an activity that we could have when we got to the point where we could have a few people gather outside, we did that. The minute we had access to the vaccines, we had a vaccine clinic here. So people, number one, got a lot of information that was verifiable from the CDC 
They got vaccines when they needed them. They had programs. They had meals delivered to their door. They had more interaction. They had a lot of, we immediately showed people how to how to Zoom and how to do things over Zoom. So they were less isolated than if they were living alone in their home, trying to figure out, is it safe for me to go to the grocery store? They never had, to, we got their groceries for them. We got their medications for them. We monitored every single person going in and out. So they were not worried about being safe. We had a really, really good track record during the pandemic. So we're very lucky. Overall, people were happy that they were here because they knew that we were safe and we were watching all of the changes and reacting to them. And we had more people signing up to for our wait list. We have a wait list to, to, to be accepted into Riverwoods. And we have more people than we've ever had now wanting to join. Yeah. That's really nice to hear. And it makes perfect sense. You have that community in place. And, and I think that's one of the, the keys that, you know, loneliness is, is um, you know, like you said, you can be socially isolated, but if you know, you know, if you're, if you can be socially isolated and, and, and not be lonely, right. And could be actually around a ton of people and feel lonely. So that's that we have to make that distinction. But I think the, the reason what people don't we, we really, really want as we get older is, is someone have our back? Is there somebody there in case I fall or in case I feel really bad or in case I need a lift to the doctor in case, and you don't think about these things. I'm 52, right. And I'm not thinking about it. I only think my husband's in his sixties. And so we're like, to me, it still seems so far away, but it can happen and it can happen. You can have an accident. You can have, you know, anything can happen so that you are so dependent. So that's why have nurturing our network and building our community is super, super important. And, and the value that, that, your, your redwoods can can offer is is, is phenomenal. The, the only question again, and you know, I, I asked you about this before, is how affordable that is. And you said it's like a health insurance, right? You you know, do, what is a typical person? Because the way I understood, the way I've learned about community living or or um, retirement homes, assisted living, you in at least in America, this is what people seem to do is it's only actually five percent, I think, of the population that are in these types of living situations, but they are maybe selling their home and then that will give them a good 10 or 15 years to live in, you know, with this kind of care, or they will, you know, I think um, long-term care is covered by um, Medicaid to a certain point or Medicare. No, which one there's, there's Medicare, Medicaid, because that was, I thought it was Medicaid where you have to be below the poverty level. And then there is some people will downplay their, you know, downgrade their their life and become quote unquote poor, get into the poverty level so that they can finance some of these nursing facilities. So what's what is happening? How do people and how is it CCRCs different than than what I just told you? Yes. So CCRCs are self-pay options. So typically what you would do, and of the percent of people that are age and income qualified for a CCRC nationally, only about 3% choose a CCRC. And I think it's because they're not well known. We are nonprofit. So we don't have a lot of money to throw around. Uh, We're not like drug companies. So we kind of fly under the radar. But I think CCRCs have reached a tipping point because of this, more people living alone and living longer. And you have more what they call comorbidities as you as you get older. So you're living longer and you have 
lots of things that you're trying to deal with. So in a CCRC, you would typically probably sell your home. That would provide an entrance fee, which is a one-time fee. And for most CCRCs, that one-time fee can be refundable. Ours is 90% refundable. So if you leave the community or when you pass away, 90% of your original entrance fee is returned to your estate, to whomever you designate. Then you have a monthly fee, and that covers one meal a day, housekeeping, transportation, fitness classes, et cetera. When you move to assisted living, memory care, or nursing care, that fee either goes up slightly or it stays flat, depending on what contract level you have. This means you are paying much less than if you were to wait and move directly into assisted living. So that's a CCRC model. Assisted living model is you wait until you need help, you qualify, and you pay month to month in assisted living. That's going to be a higher amount. It is generally not tax deductible. Some places are not-for-profit. A lot of places are for-profit because they can read the demographic chart just as well as anybody else can. So there are a lot of independent assisted living, independent memory. When I mean ind- when I say independent, I mean standalone, standalone assisted living, standalone memory care, and standalone nursing care. And the challenge that you have when you, if you stay at home and you wait for a crisis, and then you say, okay, I need help, you have to either move into assisted living or memory support or nursing care, depending on your level of need. And that is how much you'll be charged based on how much help you need. And sometimes you go to assisted living, but if you need a higher level of care, you have to leave that community and go to another community. So it's very disruptive. And as you get older, and if you are not well, all of those moves take a toll. So when it comes to Medicare, Medicare does not cover long-term care. The only amount that Medicare covers is right now, if you have a three-night qualifying stay in the hospital, and that has to be three nights as admitted. So there's two ways you can get into a hospital these days. One is under observation and one is admitted. If you're two nights under observation, it doesn't count. You have to be three nights admitted, and then Medicare will cover 100 days of long-term care. That's it. The rest is private pay. And Medicaid has a five-year look back. So I actually have a podcast on how to apply for Medicaid that I did with an attorney that if your listeners are interested, they can look it up. It is hard to intentionally qualify for Medicaid because they look back five years. So you really can't gift your assets away. So that's a very short answer for a very complex question. Actually, that should be a very good podcast because when we went through our social policy class, it was so complicated, Medicare and Medicaid. I I just, you need guidance. And yeah, I guess there's agencies that help you through this, but I'm sure your podcast will, will help a lot. But yeah, as I understood, yeah, it was Medicaid would cover some of the long-term care, but you really need to be in that poverty level. And then you think, well, what about the rest of the population who who want long-term care and they'll never be able to afford it? So it sounds like the CCRC, I, I'll have to go listen to your podcast. It sounds like 
and there's, there's, you'll have a whole, whole thing covering on this, but I think it's super interesting. Good to know, because now we're talking about not being lonely, combating depression, and how you got to stay in a community. And maybe you're saying, think ahead and maybe get into a CCRC before you become lonely. You will not become lonely if you're in this community. So what is a monthly cost, for example, an average for a CCRC? And I just want to go back and say, to those people who say this is expensive, you have to really, and we have on our website, which is Riverwoods RC, so riverwoodsretirementcommunity.org, we have a comparison sheet. So you can download it and print it out and uh, list your housing costs. And if you have a gym memberships and what you pay for groceries, et cetera, and then compare that to the CCRC cost. And one thing that I do want to tell your listeners is as we are experiencing this demographic phenomena where people are 10,000 people a day in the US are turning 65, and that's going to continue for 18 years. So we are going to have this explosion of older adults that our country has never experienced. At the same time, we have an inverted triangle of the workforce. So there are literally not enough people in the workforce to support the retiring adults because people stopped having babies after the year 2000. I don't know why, but there, you know, at 19, in 1950, we had a high of seven people in the workforce for every retiree. That has dropped precipitously until in the year 2030, there was only two people in the workforce for every retiree. And that means two people in the entire workforce, not in the super sexy long-term care industry. So if your thought is, I'm going to stay home and bring in care, that is going to be harder and more expensive than you realize. So if that is your plan, do yourself a favor and go and research those costs. My whole message to people is plan ahead, plan ahead, plan ahead. Maybe you don't like the idea of living in a community. Well, if your plan is to stay at home, get somebody in there, look at what you have to do to modify your home for a wheelchair or a walker or and find out what care costs are. Just, just be smart about this. And in terms of the cost of the CCRC, it all depends on where you live in the country. If you live in Kansas, it's much less expensive than if you live in the East Coast or the West Coast. So it really depends on where you're living. Also, in a CCRC, it depends on where you want to live. We At Riverwoods Exeter, we have 40 different floor plans. We have everything from a studio to a freestanding house with a two-car garage. So it could go from 2000 a month, 6000 a month, but it's a wide range. You're not paying real estate taxes. You're not paying a mortgage. You're not paying utilities. You're not paying for internet. So it's hard to say on the face of it, but I would say what our industry's national organization is called Leading Age, leadingage.org. You can plug in your state and find the CCRC in your area. And I definitely think it is a smart financial decision. Just do the research and take a look. And the farther away you are from this, the easier it is to contemplate it. Oh, thank you so much for clearing that up. And yeah, it sounds like there's a there's a big range and that gives us options, right? But you do have to, yeah, do the calculation because yeah, I think people don't realize yeah, how much they are spending with their, their mortgage or with 
housing taxes and, and food and transportation. And, you know, if you live in a community where you can walk everywhere, well, then maybe you don't use your car so much or you don't need one at all and just kind of Uber wherever you need to go if it's a bit farther away or rent a car or there's so many different ways we can live. But thank you so much for, for clearing that. And, and it gives options, you know, if you guys are, who are listening are thinking I'm so far away, but you may have a parent who's, who's contemplating um, or you need to be taken care of. So I would definitely look into CCRCs or Riverwoods and, and, um, or just, you know, get in touch with, with um, Kathleen and, and maybe she can guide you as well. Sure. Absolutely. Our wait list is the number of, we ask for 10% down and we have 312 people on our wait list, which is wow, really significant because people in their sixties are saying this makes sense. And they're putting down a down payment because we guarantee 4% on your down payment. If you move in, people are saying, this is smart. I know I see what's coming. I see how demographically things are going to be. And I'm, I'm not going to burn my kids with this. And this is a good solution. So wonderful. Well, people can find you. I would say start with the podcast, Seniority Authority. Um, your website is the same thing, senioritiauthority.org, not .com. And you're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, you're all over the place. Now TikTok, right? Now TikTok. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Please follow me. And the most important thing about my podcast is that I answer questions. So I really engage with the audience and I track down experts in the field. So if you've got a question about aging for yourself or for your parents, email me at info at senioritiauthority.org and I will track down that expert and do a podcast on that. So I just want to be helpful to people and I so appreciate meeting your audience and it's been awesome just getting to know you, Zora, and your fabulous life, which I want to live. (laughs) (laughs) No mad life. Definitely. It's fun. Uh, that's, we can have a whole other podcast on that, but it's, it's, um, just to remind people too, loneliness, it, it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day and way to combat that is to get out in the community, stay engaged, find an exercise buddy. Um, what else did we talk about? What were some of the other things that we can do to, to get out, to, to lower our chances and risks of loneliness? I just want to sum up by saying that I talked to, I said that my first podcast was Dr. Robert Waldinger, head of the uh, Harvard Center for Adult Development. and he is the director of that. And this study has been going on since the 1950s. Harvard wanted to find the secret to a long, happy, and healthy life. And they looked at this cohort of men and they looked at their education, their marital status, their fitness, their um, their nutrition, their wow. spirituality, amount of children they had, financial success, how many books were in their living room. And they concluded. After 80 years, there's one thing that is a key to a long, happy and healthy life. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. Mm, I like that word good, good in front of that relationship, right? Not toxic, good ones. That is it. Good. Yes. And it's good relationships. And they clarified it by saying it's some very intimate relationships, people you can call in the middle of the night, as well as 
a lighter network, knowing the people at the dry cleaner, knowing the name of the barista at Starbucks, knowing your your mailman. It's those. So this is a really, really important thing. Put some time and energy into this. Oh, great way to end the podcast. I so appreciate your time and your wisdom and sharing all of this. I hope we can have another discussion. We have too much to talk about, but <laughs> well, have a great day. Good night. Good morning, wherever you guys are. And um, we'll see you next time. Me too. Bye. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.